Turn with me to Matthew 24. Like I said this morning, I want to teach on the spirit of offense and divorce. And don't hear this just in the terms of marital divorce, though uh, that demon will try to attack any marriage and every marriage. You have to know that you know that you know that you're called to be with the one you're with. And even if you messed up and married the wrong person, guess what? You stuck. And I probably get no more kickback or no greater kickback or railing than when I try to help young couples marry the right people. I have probably fought no, this is going to sound weird. I've probably fought maybe the number two or number three greatest warfare I have fought in intensity as a pastor has been when I tried to help people marry or not marry the right person. And Miss Vicki Barclay told us as much. She said, uh, those sheep bite when you get in the middle of their love affairs, don't they? Because we've been bit just trying to help people marry the right person and calm, cool their jets, man. Because we also, in private, clean up divorces. And more ministry takes place in private than you ever get to see just preached just like when you go to college, the professor teaches you line upon line physics or line upon line chemistry or history, but you have no idea all the research they're doing outside of your three hours a week of class. And I think you, if you can understand how that works in the professorial realm and the academic realm, you get it in ministry. So we, we've been bit a couple of times trying to help people not fall in love with the wrong people. So I don't even know how we got off on that. Where was I going on that? Divorce. Thank you. Because we're trying to prevent divorce. So even when you are married, and it is the will of God, that demon will come and try to visit you and sow discord or try to play the adultery route or the disenchanted route. Um, and you've got to be able to come to grips with reality. One of the reasons we do teach on purity, and I do 125% endorse the purity culture, no matter what the woke academics say today, is that if you end up playing the field and dating a bunch of people, worse yet, you become sexually active with a bunch of people, you end up marrying at some point, and the devil has so much fuel to burn your marriage to the ground with. When we were at conference last week, me and uh, Dylan uh, had all of our meals together for the most part, so young Dylan got to sit with me, and we were discussing stuff with a couple from the West Coast, and we were talking marriage, and you could tell that they were sharing from personal experience, but I like what the man said. He said, you know, if you've been with five women, and then you get married in the will of God, the devil will make sure you compare your wife to something different in all five women. And you'll think, my wife isn't like woman one, and my wife doesn't have this like woman three, and my wife doesn't have this like woman five. And he said, and you almost burn your marriage to the ground, realizing that you're comparing one woman to the, perfect the one perfect aspect of five different women, and that perfect woman doesn't exist. That the devil's used five women to try to tear down your one wife. And, uh, and he, you could tell as he's talking, I thought, this is from experience. And then he looked at me and said, we're better now. <laughs> and his wife said, yeah, we got fixed. We're better now. So I was like, okay, that, I thought that was personal. That, that was coming from a deep place. And sure enough, it was. So that's why we do teach on purity and keeping yourself because the devil will look to burn marriages to the ground. And that's why we do try to um, help people hold off and marry the right person. When love gets involved, do not trust yourself. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> as soon as you, you see yourself being drawn towards somebody, you got to go say, oh, God, help. <laughs> Pastor, help. 
uh, elder, help. College and career leader, help. I like them. They sure are pretty. Because once you start getting attracted, you do turn dumb, stupid. It's, you're, you're, you're dupid and stum. You just, your IQ plummets and, and you're just goo. And uh, that makes you dangerous. And whereas maybe the week or two before, I was the greatest person in your life, if I say, I don't think it's God, all of a sudden you learn to snarl. How dare you? What is this, a cult? You never thought it was a cult before. But just trust me, I clean up divorces in private. I see the early stages of divorce coming years in advance, and, I'm, and I know the formula, and I just try to prevent it. So anyway, I don't want to go any further that direction. You're in Matthew 24. We want to talk about the spirit of offense, which will inevitably, the end goal is to end in a spirit of divorce. So not all divorce is marital, though that's how we perceive it in our culture. You can divorce friendships. You get offended at a friend and divorce your friendship. Or it could be divorce a job. You get offended at your boss. He pushes you too far. You take it too personal. And uh, you end up divorcing or quitting your job. And maybe that's not the will of God. We're not against changing jobs. We just want you to do it right and make sure it's the will of God. Everything we do, we want to make sure it's the will of God and not just because we're Oprah in our emotions. We don't make changes because things are tough. If you're always making changes because things are hard, you'll end up distilling your life down to the lowest denominator and you'll be living under a bridge like a homeless person because those people don't do anything difficult except their whole life. So we want to be mindful of the spirit of offense. Matthew 24, when I was with the Pittmans, this was my theme verse, uh, beginning in verse 10. We know these are the symptoms of the last days. This is the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is addressing some questions the disciples had on the Mount of Olives. This is the week of his passion before he goes and gives his life for the world. It says in verse 10, talking about the last days, and then shall many be offended. That is a Greek word, scandalizo, where we get the word scandal or scandalous. It means trigger, trap. It is the trigger of a trap. And that kind of paints a word picture in the Greek for what offense is. Wherever you get offended, there's a trigger there internally. It's a modern psychological term. We're being triggered. Nowadays, it doesn't take hardly anything to trigger this generation of Zoomers. I think what they Zoom to do is they Zoom to get offended. It is, there's no doubt it's not just the poor parenting. It's the spirit of the age. Everybody now, maybe not you and us older folks who are more stable in our soul, it takes a lot to offend us. And the world is more offensive than it's ever been. And we just look at it and go, you guys are going to hell. I wish you wouldn't. But we don't want to burn a city down or our university down because you said an ouchy word. <laughs> oh, your words, they hurt me. You had horrible parents because I was taught sticks and stones may break my bones. Like that was acceptable. Mom and dad said, that's better. That's okay. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They don't teach that at your woke class. They teach ouchy words. They teach the presence of a conservative organization on campus is dangerous. Are you really that weak and timid that the presence of a pro-life organization on campus, that, that, that's, that's dangerous, that hurts you? You, can't, you need to have a safe space? Since uh, before long, the whole university will be a safe space for a bunch of softies. We just need to start giving them pacifiers and diapy changes. And these are the next generation of physicists. Actually, these folks aren't typically in your sciences. They're typically in your other classes, literature, feminist studies, 
queer studies, general studies, social studies. Many shall be offended. That's the spirit of the age. What, Dr. Barclay says offense is nothing but a violation of personal pride. And that is a very succinct definition. Wherever you and I get offended, because we still do, that's where we have a personal pride. Even in preaching, as much as I preach, it, when I offend, I don't offend everybody with the same thing. I only offend you where there's a personal pride. Even in our own jesting and joking in social circles. We're hanging out at a barbecue and we're all cutting up and somebody can say something and nine out of ten people laugh and the tenth person be offended at what everybody finds humor in. Well, the joke isn't necessarily the problem, but that tender spot is. You know my theme verse. We joke about it, that Psalm 119, 165, it's what we aspire to. Great peace have they which love thy law. Peace is the key there. Loving God's law puts a peace in you, and nothing shall offend them. When you love God's law, this is the mechanics of the verse, when you love God's law, it puts a peace in you so strong, nothing triggers you. So knowing the Word of God and the Bible promise that I've preached for 14 years now, maybe longer than that on that verse, when I look at the universities and I see all these kids full of rage I, and all of them triggered at the slightest disagreement of their woke TikTok opinion, I think you guys, number one, don't have the law of God and you have zero peace. So you're such a nervous Nelly. You're a live wire. You're like an exposed root and something just touched the root in your mouth and blah! But that shouldn't be us. Let it be the pagans. Because pagans going to peg. They're of their father, the devil. They're going to hell. But that shouldn't be you and I. Amen. It should be very, very, very difficult to offend us. And when somebody loves you and you love them, it should be doubly hard to be offended by them. Now, I understand it's often easier because that's your intimate one, that's your child, that's your spouse, that's maybe your mom or your dad, and they can often say things that hurt the most because you love them so much, but if you know that they love you and you love them and you've been with them long enough, you know they're going to come back and repent for that thing. And you say, I know them, they're just having a bad day and they just wanted to push my button. I would ask you, why do you still have a button? If you have a button that causes you to go nuclear, subatomic, why is it a meter in diameter, feather touch sensitive, and all the arrows point to it? If that's your nuclear button, why is it so easy to hit? Why, if after this many years of Christianity, your button can still be pushed that easily? Why haven't you and I grown up anymore? Why are we still so sensitive? Why are we still so immature? Why have we not buried that button under miles of peace? Amen. Or like Colossians says, we are accepted in the beloved. If I'm accepted in the beloved, I don't care if you reject me in the moment. If I'm accepted in the beloved, all right, so you had a bad day, you said something stupid, whatever. I'm going to pray for them. They're just having a bad day. I... Um, we were cutting up at a restaurant, and Miss, uh, Miss Maria Bailey, that's Mr. Bill Bailey's wife, she was there, and she, I didn't think anything of it. She said, uh, we'll see y'all later. 
And uh, I said, yes, ma'am, we'll see you. She said, did you hear my y'all? I said, yes, ma'am, I, I, I did hear your y'all. She said, I was trying to do a southern accent. I said, honestly, I, I said, it was pretty good, but I, don't, I didn't pay any attention. I, I, did, I thought maybe you were from the south. She said, oh, no, I'm not from the south. I said, well, you don't have one of those ridiculous Michigan accents. And she said, we have accents? I said, oh, yes, you guys have accents, ridiculous ones. I said, that Josh Barkley, that's the most nasally, most irritating accent in the whole world. So I was egging on her, and then, and then she laughed and walked away, and I got under conviction. I thought, did I push that too far? Did I maybe make it too far? So I wanted to find her after the service and repent to her, uh, but I couldn't, so I found Mr. Bailey. I said, please tell your wife. I apologize if I maybe played too far. He said, what'd you say? I said, I was joking about her accents. He said, no, 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 son. Maria pulls that out of everybody. <laughs> She's, he said, we go to that Japanese restaurant where they throw knives. They pick on her the whole time. She said, it's just on her, so don't worry about it. She won't think anything of it. But I wanted to make sure, because I didn't know her very well, how much I could like rag her about her ridiculous accent. We want to be careful uh, when we know people are sensitive. Number one, don't purposely trigger that thing. But number two, if you know where you can be triggered, fix your trigger. If, uh, if those airplanes are always accidentally shooting rockets, they're going to figure out a way to put a better rocket button in that cockpit. <laughs> Because we can't just keep blowing up stuff accidentally. And some of us have never grown to pay any attention to our trigger. We actually selfishly and wickedly condition our family to live their life around our button. And that's demonic. It moves past immaturity and tracks straight into selfish demonism. When your kids have to be trained to avoid mama's trigger or your kids have to be trained to avoid daddy's trigger. That's not fair to them. That's immaturity and selfishness on your part. Or all your friends know that we can't talk to you about this and we can't joke with you about this because you are nothing but a giant trigger button. That's, that's the problem. And so uh, in teaching on offense, we have both giving offense and receiving offense. You and I have to be responsible to not receive offense and to extend a lot of grace and realize people don't mean half of what they say. If you and I, we understand today, folks don't even understand half of what they're saying. And think about this. If people can accidentally offend you and you fall apart, what happens if they intend to? If they accidentally grazed your button and you fell apart, what happens if they hauled off and decked your button or ran a car into it? Because it's going to come. If it hasn't already, somebody's going to say, oh, that's what, where you're sensitive? and just wallop you. I've also learned this over the years. The devil knows our trigger, and he monitors our aspirations in Christ, and our advancements in Christ, and our momentum in Christ, and our joy in Christ. And just when it gets to a point where he's not happy with how much we're growing in Christ, he'll set you up to be triggered. Then you'll implode, and you'll extinguish all, all of that advancement He's like cutting out the top of your hot air balloon. And all of that elevation plummets out the top and you shoot to the bottom. And now you're crashing and burning. And oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And your whole life, you're just up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And at some point, you got to figure out where's the trigger. Open up that thing and cut the wires. So that the button just becomes something fun to push. And there's nothing that actually happens. You give it to your two-year-old because they like to make it click. But... We're living in a day where many shall be offended. That's the trigger trap. Make sure you figure out where that trigger is. You already all know where it is. What's that thing? What, when you lose it, how does it, what does it look like? Do you go silent? 
Do you explode? Does everybody have to tiptoe around you? Just do, instead of tiptoeing, maybe they have to draw you out because you've gone into your hermit hole. What does it look like? And you've got to grow up there because that's not acceptable for mature Christians. It's not acceptable. You and I should have the reputation that we are stable souls, and it takes a lot to set us off. We should not have our whole family tiptoeing around our selfish immaturity. We should repent for being so easily ignited. Amen. Because we've all been around those people, maybe hopefully not in our home, where we have to walk on eggshells around them. And kids can do that for a little bit, but eventually their toes get sore and their calves collapse because it's just hard to walk on eggshells around mama or dad or whoever. So once they're offended, and whether it's, okay, offended in the home or maybe offended at your pastor or offended at your spouse, if there's not any restoration or reconciliation, it goes on to say they'll betray one another. You don't betray somebody you're in love with. You will betray someone you're offended at. If the devil can get you into offense and get you to stay in offense... Because offense is a temptation like any other sin. But just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to bite. It's all, it might be all right to circle around it and realize this, this is a trap. So you're smelling the bait. Mm, I've smelled this before. If I bite, this could cost me six weeks before I recover myself. If you bite, the hook is set, and now you don't know when the devil's going to release you or you can deliver yourself from the snare of the enemy. Once you're offended, it's easy to betray because the idol of offense and the idol of hurt feelings will justify all sorts of ridiculous, sinful behavior. You hurt me, therefore I can hurt you. I'll show you. Fine, I don't like them anyway. That's not true. You're just hurt right now. And then, of course, we, the verse also ties hating one another. So you see how all three of these work. Offense, betrayal, hatred. You can only hate somebody you're offended at. So why are you so easily offended? Why do you take it so personal? Person, when you take things personal, it really is a form of self-idolatry. And we, <clears throat> our nation, though it's supposed to be the Christian nation, we're very humanistic, where it's all about self. It's a religion called selfism, where you just worship at the altar of self and you think the whole world revolves around self and we got to drop that. It's just not that personal. It's just not... It really grieves me to watch Christians throw temper tantrums and fights over mask mandates in restaurants, you know. It's nothing personal. That 20-year-old girl just wants to keep her job. Why would you punch her? Why would you cuss her? You're the Christian with the I Love Jesus t-shirt on. And, it's not that personal. Quit taking it so personal. Realize our flesh, our battle's not with flesh and blood. Yeah. But if you don't get the victory over offense, the, the next step is that adultery, that, excuse me, that, that divorce. You will separate yourself. It's hard to sit next to somebody you're mad at. It's hard to fellowship with somebody you're offended at. And I have to speculate, and I think you could agree with me, that the devil can see when your heart is turned towards somebody and when your heart is turned away from somebody. He can tell when your heart glows at the appearance of someone who you're happy to see and when he succeeded in turning you callous to them. There's got to be something in the spirit he can see because then he doubles down on that and then he begins to feed fiery darts and, and all of a sudden speculation grows and all of a sudden you've got this giant conspiracy in your mind about, well, maybe we, didn't, we should have never gotten married. 
Maybe we should have never taken this job. Maybe we should have never come to this church. And all of a sudden, all this lunacy comes to your brain. And we're just talking about private relationships, much less when you bring it into the local church. Let me give you a couple verses to help diffuse this. Let's go to Proverbs 17. Understand that this, uh, this offense thing is no longer just an emotional immaturity. We are now officially dealing in the realm of the spirit of offense. Everything is about fence. Our nation is on such a, a raw nerve. We're uh, a high wire. We're just so tense. It's like a piano wire or a guitar string strung so tight. You and I can feel it. It really is amazing that this thing hasn't broken yet or snapped. It's like a high-tension guy wire. If he gets any more tense in this nation, what's going to happen when it snaps? We have to resist that spirit of offense. There are those Christians that walk around looking for a reason to be offended, and you can't help those people. They're, easily, they're easily, uh, either uh, racially tense, and everything is a racial offense to them, or they're socioeconomic tense, or they're doctrinally tense. There's Christians that if you just disagree with the slightest jot or tittle with them, they will cut you off and slander you on their blog. Like, come on, man, cut us some slack. We're all going to disagree a little bit on doctrine. But really, people that tense, and that's really the problem. They're tense. They are wound tight. They're not pleasant to be around. Nobody wants to be around them. I don't even think Jesus wants to be around them. He looks at them and says, you're tight. Loosen up. If we give in to this, people will move away from us. People this way don't have many friends. The Bible says we're supposed to be easily entreated. And when we're easily entreated, people are able to come to us, and they're at ease. They don't... They don't feel like they have to say everything just perfect in our presence. And there's a place for right confession. There's a place for manners. But some folks, you just got to let them get around you and just be them. I mean, if you're offended at cuss words from pagans, grow up. If you're offended at a little rough talk, if you're black and you can't handle some off-color joke from some pagan, how are you ever going to reach out to them? This nation has been taught by the devil to be so racially sensitive Good gracious alive. Us white folks, we don't even know if we can talk about black and white newsprint because if we say, do we have permission from the woke crowd to even say black anymore? I don't even know what I have rules of permission to say anymore because, you know, I'm a slave owner. Or wait, my dad was. No, no, no. My grandfather. No. My great-grandfather. No, actually, you have to go back about five generations. We did own slaves, uh, and we have the family paper that says, my great-great-great-great-grandfather did hereby release. I think we had 22 slaves in Amite, Louisiana, and we released them with the Emancipation Proclamation, 1865. Uh, so we did own slaves like, you know, 160 years ago, but I didn't. We're so raw here. And I, let me just take a little history lesson for you again. Our nation has slavery in the history, in its history as does every other nation on the planet, including Israel, including every African nation. I told you there's 90-plus nations today in the world out of less than 200, 190-some nations that are recognized. Over almost 100 or so still practice slavery today. So before you want to start tripping out on America, you know, we have slavery in our history. So did everybody else in 1776. 
And I just want to remind you, it was those mean old white Anglo-Saxons that taught the world that slavery was bad. We're still trying to teach it to Africans. Because Africa, in many parts, still practices slavery. Pastor Brett? Yep, Sudan? Oh, yeah, right in your neighbors next to the north of you? All the Muslim countries of Africa? Slavery. Blacks owning blacks. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend, or it might say, Amplified says, a friend is born for adversity. A, a friend loves at all times, even if I say something offensive, even if I, I, I misspeak or just say something dumb. I try to be very mindful of, of conversation, and I like to cut up a lot, and not everybody likes my flavor of humor. And, and so in private, I sometimes have to call people up and say, I'm sorry, if I said that, I didn't mean anything by it. Most folks are very gracious and generous, and they all, oh, Pastor, I didn't think anything of it, or Pastor Chris, or Chris, or whatever. But we got to really loosen up and recognize people are going to offend us, and they probably don't mean to. And if you start cutting off everybody in your life because they say something that doesn't measure up to the way your little kingdom works, you're not going to have anybody left in your kingdom. And we know in marriage we easily offend each other because we live on top of each other, and we get under each other's skin. But that's supposed to be your best friend, your partner, your lover, your spouse, the wife of your youth. Yeah. So we got to be able to cut each other a lot of slack and a lot of grace. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 6, actually verse 5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke is better than secret love, verse 6, Proverbs 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. How about that? How we say faithful are the offenses of a friend, the wounds, you know, they don't physically hurt you, but they might emotionally hurt you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So you don't want somebody always schmoozing you. Be able to cut each other some slack and just uh, extend, extend grace to them. Freely you've received, freely we've received, freely we give. Otherwise, even these little things that are just part of life, it's just the background static of life, little nips, little bites, little uh, undercutting words, uh, if you allow the spirit of offense to exaggerate and magnify those, you'll have nobody left in your life. Because in many things, we doth offend all. Especially in our words. That's what James tells us. If the man is able to not offend in his mouth, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. So... You and I both give and receive offense more than we mean to, more than we want to. And if you never do, James says, well, let me see by the rest of how you're living how perfect you are. Because it's just part of it. We, we, have, we have issues, and we've got to be able to extend grace back and forth to each other. Let me show you. Um, let's go to Luke 17. Let me show you how to fix some of this, and then I'm going to tell a few stories because all this offense always aims, the bigger picture, the long game is divorce and separation. Divorce and separation. If you separate yourself from everybody that has ever offended you, you'll have nobody left. Even your children, when they don't know anything, will offend you. You have to recognize that's a three-year-old boy. He doesn't know what in the world he's even talking about. You know, our kids will depending on who got spanked by who, they don't want me and they want mama. They don't want mama, they want me. 
I don't love you. I don't want you to be my mama anymore. You know, that's emotional little child, and you just either pop them on the bottom or say, you don't mean that. You don't know what you're talking about. Stop it before I spank you again. I want my daddy. He's going to wear you out too. You don't take it personal. Or you can, and you'll fall apart. You're going to cut that kid off because they said an ouchy statement to you at four years old? The spirit of offense will get you to cut off everybody in your life, and you'll be all alone, imperfect. We got to be able to cut each other some slack. Luke 17, verse 1. Then Jesus said unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Now understand, the New Testament usage of offense is both the enticement to sin and falling into sin as it is the emotional offense that we understand offense to be. You, you, when you and I as modern Americans, when we say offended or offense, we think of emotional transgression. You offended me. That was offensive. But the, the Greek New Testament and even this word here, it has with it also the meaning of to set somebody up to fall, which could be an emotional transgression, but also I'm tempting you to come smoke weed with me or I'm tempting you to look at porn with me or I'm tempting you into gossip and slander with me. So it's both. And I just want you to understand that because I can't ignore the fact that it isn't just exclusively an emotional violation. You said a word that hurt me and you offended me, okay? It is impossible, but that offenses will come. So we're going to be tempted to the day we die and people are going to say ouchy things until the day we die. But woe unto him through whom they come. So we got to be careful not to give offense, though we are going to because we're imperfect and we never know what we're saying to the person we're saying and if it's going to hit a raw nerve or not. You and I have all done that. We're talking about something. We don't think anything of it and it violated the other person's conscience because we didn't know where their conscience stood on an issue. We didn't, we didn't know how they felt about something. Um, Really, that just comes back to manners about being able to read people. And social media has made sure we have no social cues anymore. We don't even know how to make eye contact anymore. At least this is the Zoomer generation. They're, I don't know what they're Zooming to do, but they Zoom and they, they're doomed. I think we should just call them Doomers because they need Jesus so bad. They don't even know how to make eye contact and sit down and have a normal conversation. They, don't, they definitely, a lot of folks don't even have social etiquette or mores anymore. They don't know how to look at somebody and say, I just said something I shouldn't have, didn't I? Folks can't even read that anymore. They just, especially the Karens. You know, the Karens, the greatest creation of second wave feminism. Karens are the daughter of feminism. And everybody hates a Karen. But feminists can't see that's their creation. That's your daughter. Karens are just so opinionated. They don't care what people think. They just steamroll through everybody with their ridiculous opinions. Woe unto them who through, through, they come, through, through whom they come. We have to make sure we can recognize when I just said something that I, did, I, I, I transgressed you in my, your heart. I didn't mean to. Please tell me. Please forgive me. I, I could tell when I said that you disparaged it in your heart, and I don't know what happened there. I didn't mean that. We have to be able to be a lot more socially conscious than that. And not think everything revolves through our political or economic spectrum or, or cultural spectrum. If you ever do missionary work, you're very keen on this because you don't want to come in and offend. You're always very cautious. I, I like to ask questions. What do I need to touch, not touch? What do I avoid? What do I need to go near? And we're thankful we're in the church and they appreciate a missionary and they give us a lot of grace. And I've transgressed every church I've ever preached in overseas because I violate a cultural norm. I don't even know. I one time preached really hard in Iceland about spanking. Didn't realize it was against the law there and against church norms. 
I was like, just wear that kid's rear end out. They need it. You save them soul from hell. That's what the Bible says. How can you not spank your kid? And didn't offend the church at all because they were cutting this American a lot of slack. Parker said, I said, how'd that go? He said, they don't spank here. I said, what? He said, they don't spank here. I said, oh. He said, they cut you some slack. I said, I could tell. They didn't shut me down. He said, they know you're an American, but they don't do it here. Even Chito, the Chilean who lives in Iceland with an Icelandic wife, he says, we spank in Chile. He said, you can't spank here. I said, not even you. He said, no, 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 you can't spank here. It's amazing we can cut the stranger more slack than we can our loved one. We can cut, when we have African ministers come in and they say something we don't, dis, we don't agree with, we'll cut them more slack than an American that says something we don't agree with. It's amazing, the more of a stranger someone is, probably the more slack we give them. How come the closer they are to us, the more ruthless we are? It were better for him, the, the offender, that a millstone were hanged about his neck and they cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And this is a reference, of course, to uh, being tempted to sin and not so much you say something that you have to go back and repent for, though there's that application there. But I want you to understand the, the dual-fold nature of that word. Verse 3, take heed to yourselves. So now this is, he begins to teach us how to handle when we've been offended and we need to know how to handle when we've been offended so that we don't let the spirit of offense magnify it. This is how you take the, the seed of offense out. If your brother trespass against thee, that is, he offends you, rebuke him. Your job is to go to them and say, hey, you said something the other day, Pastor Brett, at lunch, and it's been bugging me, and I, can't, I just can't let it go. And Pastor Brett, I know him, and say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Chris, what did I say? Let, I, I apologize. You made this comment. Uh, it made my wife real uncomfortable. I am so sorry. Let's get her on the phone. Let me clean this up. That should be all I need. That should be all I need. I just want to hear from him. He apologized. He maybe didn't mean it. If he did mean it, it didn't come out the way. That should be all I need. If my heart is right and I'm still offended, all I need is a simple apology. And that's what Jesus teaches. If your brother trespass against you, go to him, rebuke him. Say, hey, you hurt me. And the Bible says, and if he repent, forgive him. And this is the instance where the forgiveness is restore the fellowship. You have to forgive regardless. We taught this a couple years ago that forgiveness in the Greek New Testament has two implications. Drop the charges, restore fellowship. You and I must always drop the charges even if they never repent. But we don't ever have to restore fellowship. If they don't repent, why would we restore fellowship if they're just going to keep hurting us? Some of us are pretty dumb in this church. We restore fellowship when we shouldn't because that's my mama. That's my cousin. That's my daddy. Why would you hang around with somebody who constantly offends and never repents? That's like being in an abusive relationship. So if we're offended by someone, we have every right, if possible, to go to them, especially if they're a brother. If your brother offends you, if your brother trespasses against thee, go to him and rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Look at the next verse. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. That's going to toughen you up real quick. You're going to say, that's just Pastor Brett. He just has a bad mouth. He don't mean it. And you'll, t you'll begin to advertise for him. Don't, that's Pastor Brett. He don't mean nothing about it. Did you hear how what he said? That's, trust me, I've known Pastor Brett a long time. He don't mean nothing by it. Don't take it personal. 
and you begin to get used to it. But the point is, if we learn that we're being, we've done the offending, we ought to be quick to repent. We ought not have this calloused attitude that says, get over it. Grow up. We ought to, if we've offended somebody, brother to brother, this is not talking about leadership to fellowship, but brother to brother, we ought to be able to be quick to repent and say, please forgive me. I, here's what I meant. It didn't come out right. Or you know what? I did mean it that way, but I can see that wasn't right. Please forgive me. Don't ever justify yourself. Just, just repent. Just repent. That way we can beat this spirit of offense before it can take root. Somebody just texts me a verse. This is where I'm going to trust somebody. Don't start steering my sermon with text messages. But somebody texts me something and I trust them. So let me go back. Let's go to Psalm 55. And if this is the wrong passage, I'm going to call them out. Hopefully this fits. Psalm 55. They're not texting me back to say, no, 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 no. This is not what I'm trying to say. Thank you. This is a good passage. Psalm 55, verse 11. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from the streets. Verse 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. This, of course, is a messianic prophecy about Judas. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. This is, of course, a foreshadow of Judas betraying the Lord. But why was it so painful? Because you were so close and I trusted you so much. And yet, if the relationship is that dear to me, all I need is an I'm sorry. If an I'm sorry, please forgive me, does not extinguish your fire, you have deeper problems. Now, we've already said, number one, words shouldn't hurt you. They do. But we should get to a place where they don't. And please understand, there are words that are just man-spoken. There are words that are man-spoken that God magnifies. And there are words that are spoken that demons magnify. And you've got to be able to discern. Was that pastor talking or was that pastor with God's prophecy on it? Was that my brother speaking or was that my brother one of the demon-inspired words spoken to me? And be able to recognize that word is eating through me like a worm. It can't possibly be God. I reject that to hell. Or that was more than just pastor saying, hey, where you been? There was something a lot more to that. But let me back it up again because I'm trying to cover a lot of different things tonight. If a simple, please forgive me, I didn't, I didn't mean to say it. I know I said it. I didn't mean to say it that way. I, please forgive me for dropping the ball. Please forgive me for hanging you out to dry, for dropping breaking my word, if that isn't enough for you and you still want more, you've not received the grace of God like you should. If, if an apology and, and then this and then this and this and, and then some of that is what you need to make it good, then you don't understand forgiveness. And there's a deeper issue at hand than just offense. We're dealing with an immature and a carnal heart. Now, And I don't say that to make you fall apart. I just want you to see in a marriage especially, you've got to be able to say, I'm sorry, and I know that if I tell my wife I'm sorry, then that resets the whole playing field. Now, of course, if I say I'm sorry, I repent, she better see changes. I can't just exploit her good nature. Amen. 
Let's look at 2 Timothy, one more passage, and we're going to talk about a few things here because I want to talk about getting offended at me and the local church in the day that we're in because we cannot afford that. The one thing the devil wants is you out of church. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we've talked about marriage and relationships here. I think we can see how if you allow a violation of your heart or pride to be exalted or, or exploited by the spirit of offense, we can see how it will eventually lead to the spirit of divorce. And by divorce, we don't just mean the termination of a marriage. We mean your heart's been hurt so bad, you begin to separate your heart. And what we're dealing with in the earth now, it's always been in the earth, but it's really magnifying, is we're, we're seeing the world cut up into little pieces and people fragmented and denominations fragmented and churches fragmented and families fragmented. Uh, one of the great implosions of America is the breakdown of the family and broken homes and, and just split couples. And uh, most folks are born out of wedlock now. It isn't just blacks who are 85, 89% born out of wedlock. Whites are now pushing 50 and 60%. It's a breakdown. And so when we as a church family, we have a unity here. And most of our families are husbands and wife families. We have God's design, which is a straight, sure structure. The devil looks at it and says, mm, I can break this up. I can find little holes. I can find little cracks and I'll begin to fragment it up because when we're fragmented, we have no power. When we're fragmented as a church, a bulk of God's move here is to bring us back together. And if we spend service after service trying to bring unity, we can never manifest the power to deliver the world. We're always trying to fix the sinking ship. When you're always pumping water out of the hole, you can't really take on any, any survivors. So I think we've got a good unity, but I want us to make sure we defend ourselves against the spirit of offense. Um, Paul had to defend himself numerous times because folks would come in and sow discord against him. Um, he called them false apostles. He even said they were children of Satan, the messengers of Satan. Can you imagine Paul, when he wrote that letter to the epistles, he said even Satan transforms himself. He uh, wrote the epistle to the Corinthians. He said they even tra Satan transforms himself as an angel of light. He was indicting all their favorite preachers. He was basically saying all those guys that came in that called themselves apostles, they're demon-possessed. He was indicting the TBN of his day because those men were stealing that church's heart away from Paul. That's why he says, are they apostles? I more so. Have they suffered? Oh, let me talk about my suffering. Surely you are my pedigree in Christ. You are, I am your apostle. The signs and wonders of an apostle were wrought among you. So he was having to defend himself because they were taking offense against him for who knows what. Really, when that spirit of offense gets on you, it doesn't take much. But when you've made a decision in your heart that you cannot be offended, you'll be like Elisha. And Elijah can say, stay here. I command you. And Elisha says, nope, I'm with you all the way to the end. Stay here, boy. No, I'm going with you. But when you have that spirit of offense on you, all you're doing is looking for a reason to get out of Dodge. You're just looking for that, that one little feather, that one little straw that breaks your back. And now that's it. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Paul said to Timothy, look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. Well, let me back up. Now this will work. 
He compares them. This is the passage we looked at this morning. All these wicked people love themselves, covetous, proud, boasters, blasphemers, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of God but no power. He compares them to Janus and John Braze, the two sorcerers of Moses' day, worked signs and wonders but went to hell. Paul compares himself. He says, but you, verse 9, excuse me, verse 10, you've, known, you've fully known my doctrine. So now Paul compares himself to that list in 2 Timothy 3. He says, this is what they're like, but you know how I am. You have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, and my patience. And so uh, when we start to deal with the subject of getting offended at your church and your pastor, you have to make sure you keep before you the pedigree that's lived in front of you and let that be weighed against whatever the petty offense is. Dr. Barclay was asking the preachers Friday morning, I think, give us one word, what's one thing you need as a pastor? And I, I told him, my little thing, because you got all these other preachers going, so you hope, like, please don't pick mine, please don't pick mine, please don't pick mine. And thankfully, none of us repeated ourselves. It was cool to see it work that way. But I said, I need people to not take a, a rebuke personally. I don't need people to get offended when I correct them. I need people to be able to say, thank you, sir, may I have another? And, and, and in essence, know my manner, know my lifestyle, know my heart, know that I'm committed to you, and don't take it personal. Because if I rebuke you and you fall apart, I will probably never correct you again. You will have bit my hand. And that lets me know you're not mature enough to be what I need you to be. So I will probably, for my own self-preservation, right or wrong, I will just put on a kitty glove when I'm around you, or maybe one of those dog suit trainer dog, you know. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you don't mess with a dog that bites you. you you're, even as a pastor in my heart, I always think, mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a big divot right there from where they got a hold of me last time, and all I was trying to do was fix them. I'll probably always limp around you. I'm human. So I told pastor, I said, you can't chisel mashed potatoes. I need folks around me that I can chisel on and you'll take it. And you let me make you, sculpt you into the Michelangelo's, David, or the Pieta, or whatever. Just some magnificent. But if you, you can't sculpt out of mashed potatoes. Not unless it's Devil's Tower and it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind and <laughs> you're Richard Dreyfus losing your mind. That's pop culture from the early 80s, 70s. Huh. Yeah. Uh, don't take rebuke personally. Grow up. The Bible says an open rebuke is better than a secret love. And so one of the things I have to contend with is my, part of my job description is to correct you, rebuke you whether I do it in private or whether I do it in public. Often I do it from the pulpit when I can't do it to you in private. So I just kind of broadcast it, and I hope to God you hear it. But if I can come to you in private, I won't have to address it publicly. I'd, I'd rather just teach and make you laugh, but I still have to do my job description. Timothy tells me my job is to reprove, reprove rebuke, instruct, show people in what way their lives are wrong. Timothy also tells me those that sin rebuke publicly. You don't see churches doing that anymore. Why? Because people get offended. And pastors have a heart too. They have emotions too. They have feelings too. So let me just, let me say this. Let me throw out my pedigree uh, because 
I have offended everybody in this church at some point or another, probably without even intending to. And because I pastor you, I know your strengths and your weaknesses. And if I ever offended you, not meaning to, think about what I could do if I wanted to. Because I think I've demonstrated I have a sharp tongue, I have a sharp wit, and I could probably wordsmith you in the ground. And if I wanted to carnally make you feel less than an inch tall, if I wanted to, that'd be carnal though. So think about me just doing my job and it destroys you. Whose fault is, is the implosion? Is it mine or is it yours when I was doing or endeavoring to do my job? Now, then you throw into that mix a demon who might come along and say, he hates you. I don't hate you. My Bible says an open rebuke is better than a secret love. If I hated you, I wouldn't correct you. Just like if you hate your kids, you don't spank them. Just like if I lie, the Bible says I hate you. So we've got to be mindful of how this kingdom is supposed to work and then not be so sensitive because it's not a fluffy Joel Osteen potluck. This is military. This is the kingdom. This is the army of the living God. It's going to get tough sometimes. And why do you take a, a rebuke personal? We're not attacking you. We're attacking the behavior that needs to change or the attitude. And now somebody shared with me, they said, Pastor, uh, every time you would teach on this one subject, I would get offended at you. And I said, really? I said, why? He said, I, I didn't know until I prayed. And the Lord showed me because that subject was an idol in my heart. So every time you teach on this one thing, he said that idol would be pushed away from me and it would tear my heart. And that was making me mad at you. And he said, I finally saw the cycle. And he said, I was able to repent of that subject. And once I did, it never bothered me when you touched on it again. He was getting offended at me teaching. I had no idea. I wasn't even aiming for him. And I do aim from time to time. There's no, I don't despise that at all. Absolutely, I aim. It's my job. The Lord Jesus did it. Paul did it. All the epistles are aimed at somebody or something, and I have a permission to do it. I'd rather just generalize things, but I didn't even know that, that was happening. But uh, he, I like his insight. He said, the idol in my heart. I, had, he, I said, what was the subject? He said, who do you fancy yourself to be? And because I fancied myself something God did not agree with, anytime you preach against it, you would knock it down and it would tear my heart until I finally repented, and then I don't care what you talk about on that subject. Sometimes the offense comes because you and I have the idol in our heart and the preaching hits the sacred calf. Sometimes we get offended because it's pushing us out of our comfort zone. And you have to understand that in my heart, I have 200, I think we're at 230 people now, 240 people. We keep having kids, and so I really can't keep up with it. <laughs> like rabbits. You just you blink twice, so there's more rabbits. <laughs> So at any given moment, I'm not talking to you, but I'm always talking to somebody. And you can't take it personal. You just have to take it personal. You don't hear the word for somebody else. You hear it for you. And if it hurts you, if the shoe fits, wear it. Brother Hagin used to say, if you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, and I thought, why would you waste your time with a rock? Get something bigger. <laughs> if you throw a grenade at a pack of dogs... No, he'd say, if you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. If you preach and somebody gets offended, and I like to point out, when we preach and you get offended, everybody around you is laughing or taking notes or going, man, that is so good. So who's the problem? Is it the word? Is it the message? Is it the subject? Or is it maybe we hit a bruise in your heart? 
that you need to resolve. So let me, let me like Paul, defend myself a little bit because Paul said, you fully know my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, persecution, afflictions, which thank God we've not experienced too much. Definitely not like Paul. But I, I wrote this down because the Lord was talking to me about it at conference. You guys as a church, you know my comings and goings. I don't just disappear on you. Whenever we leave town, we tell you a couple services in advance so you can be prepared that I'm not going to be here. I think I owe you that, and I think you owe me the same. Just don't skip. Let me know you're going on vacation so I can pray for you. And remind me because I got a lot of other stuff going on. You know my marriage. My marriage is stable. We love hanging out. We love being a family. We love going to the beach together. We like each other. I don't chase women. I don't flirt with other women. I got too many guns to do that. She would shoot me. Yeah. My wife is stable. She, uh, she's a pretty good disciple of mine. She's not the same person she was when we got married. She submits to my discipleship. And what's a better even tell, she's liked by all of our preacher friends, which means she knows all of them. They know her, and they like her, and they miss her more than they miss me. They, all, everybody says, tell Miss Manda, tell Manda, tell Mandy, tell Amanda. They don't know, all, know her name like it should be, but... We miss her. She is so sweet. We love your wife so much. We need to see her more. Like, yeah, yeah, we got three kids at home. <laughs> Don Randolph always leans forward and says, we only let you come to these conferences because we love your wife. <laughs> my wife is my disciple, and she keeps improving as a Christian, and she always increases in her territory. You know, my kids, they're not perfect kids. We're like yours, we're wrangling them on every side, but they're pretty well behaved. They know the Bible, they love God, and they are submissive. My kids love church too. I like that. My money is disciplined, my body is disciplined, my mind is disciplined, my household is disciplined. I am clean, and I am way more submitted than most of you are because I'm submitted to my pastor, I'm submitted to my board, I'm submitted as biblically as I can to our elders. I'm submitted uh, to your phone appointments and your texts and your phone calls. I am not one of these TBN guys that you only see on the Jumbotron and then as soon as service is out, I'm escaping out the backside door. I'm available. I wear flip-flops. I'm touchable. Most of you have been in our home, so we're not living in some crazy castle with armed guards, and I don't ever want to get there. And you know that I live for you as I'm up here, you wouldn't believe how many pastors don't work at their church. And I'm up here probably at least six days a week. And the main days, I'm up here all day long. And every one of you have come through and stopped by and said, hey, or, so you know my manner, my lifestyle. So you just have to keep that in mind next time I offend you. Just keep that in mind. Furthermore, you know the fruit of our ministry. Next month will be 14 years of pastoring you. That's a long time. I've done at least 30 mission trips, maybe more. So we've been on TV 11 years. We've got pod school now. We've got podcast, five books. We've got missionaries now. We've got the Sparta Church now. I've walked us through six remodels. Definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to know I love you when I didn't quit on any one of those and just walk away. You wouldn't believe how many preachers, they get their church in a remodeling program and they just walk away because they can't handle it. We're in three jails, four nursing homes, evangelism, friends with at least 200 preachers around the world, guest ministers. I, excuse me, I'm a guest minister in demand. I'll be preaching at a Congolese church in Atlanta next month. And then also two weeks after that will be in Amarillo. We flow in the gifts still. We don't put the Holy Ghost in the back room with the old blue hairs. I'm not ashamed on Sunday morning to pray in tongues. Actually, sometimes when I see visitors, I purposely say, let's pray in tongues. Just because if they're looking for God, I'm going to give them. You know my teaching gift, my doctrine. We have great worship. Even when we sat the team down and resurrected a new team, we got great worship. And we're blessed in all that. We give away 25 to 30% of our church income. I'm not like some of these guys out there that embezzle the church money. Why would you do that? I don't want to go to hell from a fancy house that I don't want anyway. Huh. We have the best guest ministers. And you've learned to trust me on that. I know when we started watching Mark Neuroff videos, you guys are like, what? Talking about the creed, what? And then I knew at the end of 13 weeks, you guys are going to geek out when I bring him in on Zoom. And you did. Because Mr. Mark Neuroff is one gem of a man. He's not even a minister. He's an IT designer. He's an expert in IT design and, and programming. But the man has a heart for God. And on top of that, I'm pretty funny. <laughs> so then I would ask with that pedigree, what's your problem with me? Because with that, you're like, man, praise God. I'm glad we're here. But that doesn't include the demon that gets in your head, turns upside down, left is right, right is wrong, black is white, purple is green, and all of a sudden you are so deceived and deluded. And I've learned that the spirit of offense can speak to you in the middle of my sermon. It can speak to you in my office. It can speak to you out of nowhere. Uh, we've all heard a demon and thought it was the Holy Ghost. And this is why I try to emphasize to us that we're not led by voices. And there is a huge difference between the inward witness and an audible voice in your ear. And audible voices in your ear are never God. I have heard the audible voice of God the Father twice. Once in 1995, once in 1996, and it was a voice that spoke to me, as it were, from the stars in the sky, so far up there. It was behind me both times. And that's it. Every other time I've been led by the Holy Ghost, it's internal. I have heard many voices in my left ear and I've heard voices in my right ear and they sound just as clear and as accurate as what you might think the word of the Lord was. But God doesn't live out there in us. He lives inside of us. So I've heard people uh, hear voices to leave a church or that pastors in sin, not just me, other churches. I, one of our men shared with me, he said, just a few weeks ago, I was driving down the road and I heard a voice in my ear say, it's time to leave the church. And that's when you look and you say, he said he turned around to see who it was because it was that real. He thought they were in the car with him. And then you realize, nope, that's a demon. Demons don't talk to Baptists that way. They don't talk to Presbyterians that way. They don't talk to Church of Christ that way. They talk to Pentecostals that way because we know we can 
be led by the Spirit of God. We end up chasing voices too much. I'll tell you a weird story. Some time ago, I was with some friends of ours that are ministers, and I sat down in their car with them. And as soon as I sat down in the car with them, this voice spoke to my left ear and said, now would be a good time to get that story right that you told him. And I instantly knew what story they were referring to. And it was, I was telling a funny anecdote from years ago. And I, 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 what it did is I inadvertently messed up some details, blended a story from my dad, blended a story from me, and, and you know, had everybody laughing. And I, when I told the story, I walked away going, I didn't get that right. You know, it's funny. It, it, they were both the same vibe. They were both true. They were just mixed up. And it bugged me when I walked away going, man, I... But in the end, you know, you're not trying to deceive anybody. You just have folks laughing. I sat down in that car, and that voice told me that, and I instantly knew it was a demon. But I thought that demon knew the story wasn't accurate. But it wants me to be so religious as to obsess over every jot and tittle. The intent of the story wasn't to deceive. I even called my dad up. I said, Dad, remember that story you told me? And he said, son, that's not my story. So then I don't even know where I got the other half of the story. <laughs> like, I'm just going to stop telling the story because it just has degraded over time. But it bugged me for several days. The voice was so clear, I really wrestled with, do I obey it? But there was, as soon as it spoke to me, there was this inside kind of breakage, like, ah. Eh. Because I, I want to obey God. I don't want to deceive a friend. But also I realized that my friend at the time was dealing with some religious stuff. And so then I got to thinking, maybe this is a demon on him talking to me to be obedient. So I resolved not to tell him to it. The Lord's not dealt with me at all since then. But my point in the story is you, you got to understand how clear these voices are to deceive you and mislead you. That is why the voice of our shepherd we know, Jesus Christ, the voice of a stranger, we don't listen to. And we need, we need to make sure that we obey God and we exalt the word of God above any voice, any quote-unquote leading. Any, I heard in church. I heard in church. Um, that spirit of divorce will get on you and get you out of the place you're supposed to be in, and it can seem so real. When I served Pastor Darren in Knoxville years ago, uh, I hadn't fully gotten my roots established in his church, but I knew I was supposed to be there. And he brought in a guest minister out of uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, they did some praise and worship. And it was the most embarrassing praise and worship I think I've ever been in. And they had us jumping in the river, splashing all around. I felt like that Billy Bass song, you'll take me to the river, toss me. I really felt like that's what we were doing. It's supposed to be worship. I mean... It was very embarrassing, and I was cringing the whole time on the inside. And, and I honestly thought, I can't stay at this church. I can't stay at this church. I can't be a part of this. If this is what Pastor Darren's endorsing, this guest minister's nuts. You know, it's the kind of guy that's so charismatic, he names his kid Shekinah Glory Zion. Like, <laughs> that kid's going to hate you by the time he's seven. The kid's name was Zion, I think. Shekinah Glory Zion, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I almost left the church over that. That spirit of offense got on me. And I sat down and talked with a friend. I said, I don't think I can stay here. And they said, that was weird, wasn't it? And I'm thankful that somehow I knew, at least go talk to Pastor Darren about this before you let this offense graduate to divorce. 
So that was uncomfortable for me because I got to go kind of like say, I don't like that. I'm not a Karen, so that's not easy for me to do. <laughs> Just offering opinions when nobody asks. So I humbly went to Pastor Darren. It's his church. He's a Rhema guy. He's a Christ for the Nations guy. He was submitted to Dr. Barkley, still is. I said, can I ask you, you know, a couple weeks ago we had that guest minister and that worship, and he went, oh, God, have mercy on me. I said, so you didn't like it? He said, I could have killed them all. <laughs> he said, it's the worst thing I've ever done as a pastor so far. He said, I'll never have them back. Somebody recommended, said they were good. He said, as soon as I got going, I thought, why did I bring you here to have it for our, Dr. George Evans was the guest minister that night. And here's this ding-a-ling Shekinah glory Zion worship team. And we're dancing in the river, dump, jumping in the water, splish splashing. We had, it was like vacation Bible school, but they were serious. And Pastor Dan was just still embarrassed over it. And I thought, thank God, because it means I was right and he was right. And he didn't know what he was getting himself into. And he was just cringing that there wouldn't be any collateral damage. But if I had been like this introvert and taken my offense and let it incubate on the tables of my heart, where would I be today? Because I'm still close with Pastor Darren. We, we were cutting up this week. He was at conference. We text almost every day still. Uh, he's still an influential voice in my life. He's still a tremendous prayer warrior, and I've learned most of my prayer life from him. Where would I be if I got offended over a guest minister who even he in the moment said, why did I do this? The best way is to obey the Bible and take your offense, your grievances, and air them out. Then Pastor Darren had this guy, I won't name his name, great minister. He went to Ramah. They were very influential people. They were part of our church in Knoxville. He was a great singer, a very charismatic personality, a great Bible teacher. I mean, he had it to be a minister. Felt like he was called to world missions. And I don't know what happened. I could call Pastor Darren. He could tell me what tweaked in this guy's heart. They went to Ramah together. And for the longest time, this brother very faithfully served Pastor Darren. He was his right-hand man. He was on a full-time staff there at the church and would do anything for me. He was his armor bearer. And then all of a sudden, one day, it just tweaked, and it got weird. And, and this guy and I always sat on the front row as Pastor Darren's kind of right-hand and left-hand men. And sitting next to this guy, all of a sudden, didn't realize what was going on in his heart, all of a sudden, I start getting this desire to leave. Like, I can't be here any longer. I just can't be here any longer. I don't know. I don't know where I need to be, but it's not here. I just doesn't, I don't fit here anymore. You ever heard that demon? I don't fit here anymore. I don't, that's a demon. It's real subtle. I don't fit here anymore. And um, I couldn't figure it out, but I had no offense in my heart, but this spirit of divorce is talking to me. I don't fit here. Uh, there's got to be another church in town I can attend. Where am I going to go? God never gives, tells you to leave a place. I mean, you're not Abraham, so it's not like you're leaving Ur to a place I will show you when you get there. You're not Abraham. So don't try to play that. He's going to show you where to go next. You're not just going to jump out there into the abyss and land successfully. Wrote a book about that too. And then all of a sudden, I, I notice Pastor Darren stands this couple up and says, all right, they feel called to Tulsa, which came out of the blue. And so this morning, we're going to lay hands on them and release them. And that's when I heard it. Release. They're not sending them. They're releasing them. And that's when the Lord taught me, just like a cat that doesn't want to be held anymore, you're better off letting that thing go. Otherwise, you're going to bleed. You ever held a cat too tight? 
when all of a sudden, that's how cats, cats are like a lot of Christians. A lot of pastors, they don't pastor sheep, they pastor cats. They come and weave in and out of your leg. They get dander and hair all over you, and all they want is to be held and fed. And then they'll kill you in their sleep. Yeah, I saw a funny meme that, you know, lady, cat lady, for whatever reason, women collect cats. If you're a dude and you collect cats, we'll pray for you. But this woman's petting her cat. She says, I would give you my life. And the cat's thought says, I'm going to kill you while you sleep tonight. <laughs> so I just saw my friend. He no longer wanted to be submitted to Pastor Darren and his claws were coming out. Because you know how it is. You hold a cat, and all of a sudden, it doesn't want to be held. You're trying to hold it tighter. Those claws are digging into you. And then if you don't, it's going to tear your clothes, your shirt, draw blood, and then it's going to break out anyway. So that's what Pastor was doing. He was releasing them to go. And uh, they went out to Tulsa, and they're in Florida now and not really doing anything. And I'm telling you, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody with such greatness on their life. So after they left... I was talking to Pastor Darren about it. I said, sir, can I ask you about all that? Yeah. What was that all about? And he just spilled the whole can of beans on me. And I said, you know, for the last couple of weeks, I've really been tempted to leave. It's like come out of nowhere. It's been weird. And Pastor Darren said, the spirit of leave that was on him was ministering to you. And that's when I realized it could be a demon. And me sitting next to him, that vibe, those thoughts kind of splashing over on me. That's why you got to be careful to move away from people who all of a sudden turn sour. We've all experienced that voice, especially when you're planted where you're supposed to be. I don't, you don't fit here anymore. You, you, do you see how you're different? You see how there's not a place for you here? That's a spirit because it's not God. Because when God takes you out of a place, it's promotion. It's not because you don't fit. And you got to be able to recognize that and curse it to help. The last thing the devil wants is you planted in a church where you can be fed and grown and watered and promoted and increased. And so uh, I, will, I will say this. For the first time in 13 years, I have dealt with that spirit trying to pull me away from Dr. Barclay. It's happened over the last two or three months. And I heard it. And I've been, I've, this, this conference was my fourth conference to be with pastor this year. So I thought maybe it's the spirit of familiarity. Just I've been in so many conferences, been around the ministers, been around pastor, been around Josh, been around the team. That wasn't it because I love those guys. I've known all of them for so long. It's just a demon. And I could sit there and I could sit and almost just bask in that voice of that spirit. And I could feel it trying to convince me, you just don't fit anymore. You're taking your church a different way. <laughs> like, Tell me more. I want to I hear your secrets because I'm going to use them against you. So keep talking because I'm not stupid. I'll listen. Get me some intel. You just don't fit anymore. You know, things, Dr. Barclay's not handling things right. Funny. I know how he handles most of everything. I don't disagree with any of it. And then the thing that I always get chuckled with, uh, he's not changed a bit. He's doing everything he's always done the same way he's always done it. And what he's always done, I've always loved and adored. So what's different now? It's not him. It's not his ministry. His ministry is growing and increasing. It's this demon talking to me. Like, all right, I resist you, and you can go to hell because I'm going to be in the next conference. I'm going to dump a lot of money in the next conference and whatever pastor needs, and we're going to continue to pray, and you can just shut up and go to hell, and I'll weather this, and you'll go away. That's how subtle this thing is. You got to be careful 
not to be divorced. So here's what I ask, because I wasn't offended at pastor. This thing just kind of came alongside me so subtle. It's almost like music fading in in a movie. You don't even know when did the uh, music kick in. That's how this thing works. So for, for some of you, I know I've offended every one of you. But guess what? You've offended me. The difference is you probably offended me being carnal, negligent, untrustworthy, conniving, absentee, or carnal, and I probably offended you preaching hard or stepping on your carnality, your immaturity, your absenteeism. Some of you still can't master the clock. Got nothing else to do. You sure still can't. If you can't master the clock, how will you master life? Anyway. So what's your problem with me? Because maybe you don't have one today, but you will probably tomorrow because the devil will come for you. Was I rude to you once? Did I mean to be rude to you? Was I mean to you once five years ago? You still can't let it go? Did I offend you once? If I say once, man, we're doing good. I mean, once, that's pretty good. My wife offends me more than that in a week. Did I say something once you didn't agree with? How did you handle disagreement? I like what we teach, Dr. Barclay teaches it, that submission begins when you disagree. You haven't submitted till you disagreed. And you're not really submitted till you disagree and go along with it anyway and keep your heart right. Dr. Barclay told a story. He, he told this story many times, but he said he was traveling with Lester Summerall and there was another preacher that came up, and Dr. Barclay and Lester Summer are about to get on Dr. Summerall's airplane to go somewhere and preach. And the young minister, I don't know how young he was, he said, hey, can I travel with you, Dr. Barclay? And Dr. Uh, Dr. Summerall, Dr. Summerall said, no! You're too immature. And he said, the guy got offended. He said, that, that's why you can't travel with me. You can't even handle a no. And if you can't handle a no here, what happens when we get in the air or get overseas? You're not mature enough to travel with me yet because you get offended too easily. Think about how much your offense robs you, how much promotion it steals from you. Don't get offended. Promotion on your job will come if you can take the boss's mood swings. The spirit of offense, when you're offended, you back off, you retreat. And this is one of the things I've learned. When you're offended... You don't just back off and retreat. You build a labyrinth of walls in your life. Now, I call it the dance, that whenever I've offended you and you're still here, I find that we kind of have to dance when we fellowship and when I come to you. And what I'm really doing is I'm working my way through the labyrinth of walls you built, trying to get to your heart so I can still pastor you. You don't want me to get tired of doing the dance because then you suffer. I don't. But then again, why do you have a labyrinth? A labyrinth is a fancy word for a maze. You build that up as a self-defense mechanism. And that comes back to you can't chisel mashed potatoes. I need to be able to just say, stop. Brett, whatever you're doing, stop. Bobby, stop. Don't do that again. Pastor Caleb, what are you doing? Don't do that anymore. You're going to hurt your church. Yes, sir. And not take it personal. Just say, yes, sir. Praise God. Yeah, if we have to come to you with Mickey Mouse gloves and dance the labyrinth dance, you're wasting my time. Pastor said it this way, 
Don't pour into a clogged toilet. You would have thought Susan Keith was in those services because pastor talked about poop so much. You don't pour into a clogged toilet. And when you're clogged, I can't invest in you. Amen. When I'm offended at you, I don't retreat from you. I preach harder at you. I pray harder for you. I press on to deliver you. And you got to make sure you fix this thing. Um, I'm going to have Miss Jenny Harris come here in a minute. I'm going to ask her to say some few things to share an experience she had. We've, we've taught over the years about the spirit of offense. And I've come to recognize that for some Christians, the familiar spirit they battle with is the spirit of, uh, of offense. We all have something assigned to us, whether it's insecurity or lust or alcohol, addiction. We all have something that's assigned to us that holds us back. I'm, I've come to be convinced now that for some Christians, it is the spirit of offense. Now, um, understand that the spirit of offense, if it comes and visits you, and it will all of us, it can take anything I say and bend it and twist it and activate you against me or me against my pastor or even me against you. And we need to also understand that we're not of the bad charismatic doctrine that Satan can't cross the bloodline, that he can't come to church services. If Satan can't come to church services, how do we cast him out in church services? Just let pagan people walk through the door and the demons stay outside. It doesn't work that way. And so we have to know that demons can come into our church services and try to interrupt things, etc. We've had folks have visions in our church over the years. I think Marlon had a vision one time about a bunch of the demons that used to buffet us laying up against the windows here. Ben. Ben had the vision. Cut years ago when he was just a boy, he said, you, you said you saw, when we hadn't done these walls yet, you saw demons looking inside our window trying to look in our service and make fun of us, trying to get in. So they want to get in from time to time. And even church services or churches have demons assigned to them uh, that will produce a familiar sin. So one of the things I want to have, Miss Jenny, why don't you come up, ma'am? We talked about this. Years ago, I was preaching something, and I offended her. And it was more than just an offense. She saw a demon. And I want her, you can step up here, ma'am. I want her to testify because Miss Jenny is not a charismatic nut. She doesn't see demons all the time. But we can learn a lot. I've shared her story before just anonymously, and I may ask you some questions, and we kind of just go back and forth on this, and we're going to keep everything anonymous just, just to do it because it doesn't matter. But I want you to share what you saw. I'm preaching. It was a Sunday night? No, sir, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. All right. Here you go. So I'm, I'll ask you questions. So you remember what service it was? Sunday morning. What year? 2011. What month? Parenting. All right. Anybody have that kind of recollection? Because you weren't attacked. All right. So I'm teaching on parenting, and I, I make a statement, just preaching. I think we decided I had just come back from Africa. Okay. But I make this statement, and tell us, okay, what did you see? I make this statement, and what happened?
a it was a very for the sake of anonymity. It's, um, and that was if, it, if I'm understanding right, to protect. Yeah, that's fine. A being, like a demon. Yeah. Because we always we don't always know what is buffeting us. Right. You know how many times you say, Pastor, Dr. Barclay is, says how many bombs are turning even around. We don't we don't always know, but the, the timing I want to touch on the timing if you'll permit me, the timing in your life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And he has spoken to me about the situation that that thing was shattered. And so I look down and in my hands, I'm, I'm looking at my hands, and I see, spiritually speaking, just shards, huge shards laying on the ground. And I open my hands and there's nothing in them. And all I can say is that what was shattered in me was hope. Amen. Yeah. Calibrating what's going on. So you and I have spoken about the event, the words. Um, 
within about three days, I was, I was crushed. If there is, uh, when I did talk to Pastor, which was way too late, um, I could pinpoint this is the third most significant demonic attack in my life ever. And I can pinpoint this event in my life and that event in my life. But if we endeavor and do, as messed up as we are, want to walk with God, we have a very real enemy who hates us. Amen. And if he can use the most precious people in our life in the words, um, um, but I, I want to say within about three days, I just heard the Holy Spirit just whisper, go talk to Brother Jeff. And I would not. Meaning me. Yeah. Events in childhood, events here, yeah. train wrecks, car wrecks, uh, spirit wrecks, soul wrecks, not spirit. But, um, but in, in as soon as I said, no, Lord, I don't trust him. Yeah. That's not a secret to you. Yeah. I, I recognize is where we then turn to an area of personal problem. Yeah. Yeah. And to take that rawness and this is this is me saying speaking my heart, feeling that I would risk even more hurt. Yeah. I was not willing to yeah. do that. So just even if anybody is paying attention to me, um, the descriptions that I thought about this since we talked this last week. Um, Dr. Barclay did say something about offenses separating people from their pastor, and I'm like, I can testify. <laughs> Well, something you said that I think is worth noting, you told me that the other day when we were talking again. You said that week, the week leading up to when you saw the demon throw that javelin at you, in this arena that I made a statement about, other areas of your life were attacking the same thing. It makes, it sounds like a giant setup by the enemy, like he was watching. What if I didn't make that statement that night? Would he have come back the next service and the next service and waited for me to say something that he could then tie to you. Because in a sense, now not that I'm that great, but being the, probably the highest authority in your life, especially a spiritual voice, to make a statement that he's been perhaps playing in all these other arenas of your life. But let me just say this, because just like she was kind of set up by the enemy, I do get tickled at what folks get offended at. I one time said, I, you know, you guys know I have my little sayings I say. I said something about if, uh, if you want to be an eagle, quit running with the buzzards. And that offended somebody because that was something their abusive dad used to say to them. Like, do I know that? How am I supposed to know that? Well, one time I was making fun of dirty, ugly feet. And somebody got offended because their husband makes fun of their dirty, ugly feet. Well, then you can fix that. Clean those toes up, get a scrubby brush, paint them. Uh, it's really amazing what we do get offended at, and the devil knows what that is. And maybe, like this thing she saw, it just sits there and waits and watches me and waits and watches me and waits till I say something he knows triggers you and then magnifies it beyond just a family offense. Now it's a pulpit offense. Think, I mean, just think about this. We're, we can't be stupid. We don't battle with flesh and blood. We have demons 
that are assigned to us. They know our familiarity. They know our weakness. They, they know what sets us off. And what, what if? We don't know. We're just speculating because she only saw that little golem demon in that moment. It was, she said it was watching me like it was waiting for me to say something. How many services had it sat there? How many services does something assigned to you sit and wait for me or the guest minister or your boss to say that thing and then it unleashes its attack with perfect timing and that's when our training has to kick in and we have to do what we're taught and say, whatever, I rebuke that. I refuse to get offended. Otherwise, we're going to be pulled apart in every direction. Like I said, a simple, I am so sorry. I had no idea. I did not mean to say that. Please forgive me. That should suffice, especially if it's genuine. A couple years ago, I was preaching really hard, and I made a strong statement. And in my heart, I indicted my own father when I made the statement. And I offended a family because they thought I was calling them out. Now, I didn't say my dad failed this way because everybody's dad fails. And I'm not trying to disparage my dad. But... In my heart, I made a statement, and I thought, that's what happened to me. And that was the intent and declaration, and, and I didn't want anybody to share my pain. Except that family had gone through something similar, and they were convinced I was rebuking them. That's what they heard. But that's not what my intent was. But the enemy causes us to hear these things. So we, there's a tenuous balance where we have to take all things personal, but don't take it personal. And you figure out what in the service is for you and stick with the scriptures. One final example I was, I was sharing with Jeff and Jenny when we were talking about this a, couple, a long time ago now. I was preaching and I actually was aiming at someone who was consumed of their job too much. And I've been dealing with them in private and dealing with them. And, and so I just had some liberty. So I just went my playful route and I changed the old Tennessee Ernie Ford song, 16 Tons. Remember that song, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company. Remember that song? used to sing it. That's a good song. So I changed that song in my preaching, and I said, uh, you ought to change that song. You ought to sing that song. You're so committed to your job. Lord Jesus, don't call me. I won't serve. I won't go. I sold my soul. I'm the company whore. That's what I preached. Because they were. They were sold out to their job. Well... We had somebody in the church that heard that totally different. They called DCS on me. And they reported me for, they accused me of standing up a teenage girl in our church and calling her a whore publicly. So uh, you guys didn't know about that because you don't share everything that goes on in private. So I get visited by DCS. Now, do you know how stressful that is as a pastor? What? I didn't even have kids at the time. What am I being investigated for? So the DCS agent comes, and we were able to figure out when the call was made, when the false accusation was placed. And I was able to figure out what service it was. So we had, like, the CD ready to go. So the DCS agent came in, and I said, she introduced herself. She was cordial. I said, do you mind if I record this? Because I'm totally recording this. She said, sure. I said, all right. She said, we, I, I'm here to investigate you or to ask you, uh, interview you. We had a, uh, a call come in against you. And I said, what in God's name am I being investigated for? She said, psychological abuse of a minor. I said, okay, what did I do? She said, the accusation is that you stood up a 17-year-old uh, girl in your church and you called her a whore publicly. And I said, really? 
She said, yeah. I said, well, I have the recordings of all those services. We can listen to them right now if you'd like to. I said, but I can tell you I did no such thing. I said, I know exactly the service. And what I did was I told a man through singing songs that he was a company whore. He sold his soul to the boss man. He can't serve Jesus. That's what I said. And I didn't name anybody. And she said with a smile, she said, well, I figure what it was is a dirty girl under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I said, that's what you think? She said, yep, that's why it's taken me six weeks to come visit you. I triage my cases, and I just kept putting this one off. I said, are you a Christian? She said, I can't really discuss that. I said, where do you go to church at? She named a church of God. I said, do you speak in tongues? She said, I can't discuss that either. I said, I'll take that as a yes. (laughs) She said, anyway, you won't ever be seeing me again. I said, thank God. Talk about stressful. You want to be a preacher? You're stupid. (laughs) Nobody's words are so misused, misaligned, mistwisted. And that's by pagans, much less demons. Amen. So you just just got to make sure you follow God because uh, in much speaking, there wanteth not sin. So I want to say I appreciate you guys putting up with me, cutting me some slack. Because preachers aren't perfect. We do make mistakes. Ours are just magnified when we do make them.